Hello, my name is Leslie Goodburn. I'm a Pancreatic Cancer UK supporter, and you're here today listening to some podcasts that we're doing. The reason that we're doing the podcast is because there are two small words, pancreatic cancer, two small words that actually have a massive impact on people, that cause devastation, that create psychological, emotional and physical pain. Before 2014, I didn't really know a great deal about pancreatic cancer. I knew that it was one of the cancers that had a poor survival rate, but that was probably all I knew. In 2014, my husband Seth was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. We were thrust into a world of palliative and end-of-life care, and unfortunately, 33 days after diagnosis, Seth died from pancreatic cancer. Seth didn't really stand a chance, couldn't get treatment because actually the disease was diagnosed at such a late stage that there wasn't the possibility to have any other outcome than Seth was going to die. So after Seth died, spent a lot of time thinking about how to support Pancreatic Cancer UK to raise awareness of the disease, of the signs and symptoms, to raise money. So I've spent the last four years working with various different organisations, getting GPs trained, raising funds through doing things with Emma Bridgewater Pottery, doing charity balls, um, standing in the, in the street during Awareness Month and giving out leaflets to raise awareness. Um, Last year we did some work around patient stories, this year we're doing the Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer podcasts. The podcasts are designed to give everyone who listens to them an idea about what the pancreas does, why it's important, what its function is, what happens when cancer forms, what the signs and symptoms of the disease are, how people can recognise those recognise those signs and symptoms so that they can go to the GP and hopefully get diagnosed early enough for treatment to be an option. We're going to talk to some of the UK's leading clinicians, nurses, allied health professionals, experts in various different fields, and most importantly, we're going to talk to some patients and families who've experienced the disease. So over the course of Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Month, which is November, the Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer podcasts will be broadcast and it'll give you all an opportunity to understand the disease much better, to think about how you can support raising awareness going forward and to spread the word about pancreatic cancer and hopefully make sure that in the future many more people are diagnosed earlier and people are given the chance for treatment, the chance that Seth never had. I'm Charlotte Foster, podcaster and journalist. In this episode, I'm going to be looking at the issue of cohexia. Now, don't worry, it's a word I've not known for very long either. In fact, it is cancer-related weight loss and it particularly affects people who have pancreatic cancer. Dr Barry Laird is a senior lecturer in palliative medicine at Edinburgh University. He's also a consultant in palliative medicine. I've been speaking to him about a study he's been taking part in, along with others, um, to deal with this issue. The MENAC trial is really a groundbreaking study which is trying to target cancer cachexia. Cancer cachexia, though the term may not be that familiar to to everyone is a common phenomenon that exists in patients with cancer and it commonly presents with weight loss, low appetite and reduced physical function and it's common in 
particularly lung cancer and pancreatic cancer. And cancer cachexia really results in approximately 50% of cancer deaths. The, the main problem is that we have no treatment for cancer cachexia. As we're doing this podcast, there is no licensed therapy for cancer cachexia and no standard of care. Patients really suffer from this condition and the work which I've been involved with, with colleagues in the University of Edinburgh, including the late Professor Ken Fearon and colleagues internationally, is really trying to target cachexia head on by giving patients an intervention which com combats all the main um, aspects which are at the genesis of cancer cachexia. This involves um, giving patients a basic exercise programme, giving patients a nutritional supplement and giving them some anti-inflammatory medication. So that's a sort of very brief summary of, of the, the background to the study and what the study, um, the basics of it are. So what did you find out in this study then? Well, we've not completed the study yet. Um, study's currently ongoing, but we did a pilot study, um, which is quite common when you're doing a clinical trial. You do a smaller study initially to see if your, your trial design is, is feasible and if it's likely to be successful. So our pilot study um, was published last year in the Journal of Cachexia, Sarcopenia and Muscle, and it was a study of 46 patients. In that study, um, we half, gave half the patients this treatment, which was exercise, nutritional supplements and anti-inflammatories, and half the patients got standard care. What we found in that study was that patients tolerated the exercise intervention, they tolerated the anti-inflammatories and, and they tolerated the drinks quite well. We found that patients um, who were in the trial who were getting anti-cancer therapy at the same time, the study intervention didn't interfere with their cancer therapy. So this study showed that it was a safe study to do, um, it was feasible and the patients um, were able to take the intervention and the preliminary findings from this study were that patients who had this intervention, their weight was improved compared to those who did not. But that's not enough for us to change clinical practice. So we're now going from doing a 46 patient study, which we completed, to a study which is in 240 patients. And so far, we are just about halfway through that study. Ultimately, where do you hope this research will lead? If the, if the trial that we're doing just now is effective, we hope that it will become the standard of care for all patients with certain types of cancer, like lung or pancreatic cancer, who are receiving anti-cancer therapies um, with, with palliative intent. So patients who are being still very much treated for their cancer, um, we hope that this treatment will become the standard, it will be the norm for patients, that taking regular exercise, anti-inflammatories and optimising diet through nutritional supplements will be the sort of de the norm for patients and very much integrated into routine oncology practice. After we've done the trial, I think what we need to then do is do some, probably some further work to try and work out how we best implement it in practice, should our findings be positive. How hopeful are you that they will be positive? Um, as researchers, it's always difficult, but 
our pilot study was 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 very encouraging. So we're we are positive that things um will have a good outcome from this study. Um we're very grateful to both the Rising Tide Foundation, Pancreatic Cancer UK, and Marie Curie UK for the support for this study. Um for without which this wouldn't wouldn't happen. It almost seems that if you've got a cancer, weight loss is almost the inevitable side effect of it. Is this a hard sell to people to go, actually, it's not necessarily going to be, um, you know, we can help you keep weight, gain weight and help you go through your treatment, you know, a bit better? Yeah, it's a, it's a good point. I mean, I think weight loss is often seen as an inevitable part of cancer. And rightly so, it's often associated with a poor outcome. But interestingly, patients all the patients I've worked with over the years, they are very keen to participate in research. And they want to do this to see if it will help them. But also, for altruistic reasons as well, patients with cancer are very keen to improve patients and the care of patients in the future. So I think that nowadays, patients are very happy to take part in trials such as this. Our colleagues in oncology um, very much see the need for treatments for cancer-associated cachexia, and it's not a difficult sell at all to either clinicians or um, oncologists. I make the point to oncologists that it's actually cancer-associated cachexia that kills a lot of their patients. And if we can treat that, not only will we improve survival, but we may even improve the, the efficacy of anti-cancer therapies. I suppose as well, there's a lot to be said about how a patient feels. And if they're losing weight and they feel they look ill, they may feel more ill as a result of that. Does that make sense? Yes. I mean, we, we know that when patients have got um, cancer cachexia and they have a poor appetite and they have reduced activity levels, if you like, that it puts a huge stress on the patient, but also on the patient's family. And a lot of the day-to-day activities which they might normally like doing, for example, going for a walk or going to do some shopping or having meals with family members can become hugely difficult and a huge source of distress for patients and families. Um, so they really want to try and you know, target this aspect too. And almost through our, through our study, we're doing a sort of detailed sub-study where we're trying to explore the experiences of patients who have cancer-related weight loss and um, how it impacts on them and also hopefully how our study intervention can make them feel better and function more as a normal you know, person during their cancer treatment. And that being, and that being or I say being, I that being, feeling of normality, you, it's, it's worth its weight in gold, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, we try to use that idea that these patients are very much living with their cancer rather than dying from their cancer. Um, and that's our job is to keep them living and, and support them to live as best as they can with their cancer. I'm just one member of a, of a huge team and as well as met Professor, the late Professor Fearing, who I've mentioned, I'd also like to acknowledge the support of Professor Marie Fallon, Professor Stein Kosa and Dr. Tora Solheim, who are the other sort of key investigators in, in the trial. And all the patients who have taken part thus far, and um, without them, the, the trials wouldn't happen. The study is currently running in the UK, in Norway, in Italy, um, Switzerland, and also in Canada. And I'm just one member of, as I say, of a huge international team. Um, so just to acknowledge these people would be fantastic. 
I've also been chatting to Ruth Boyce. Now, she's Macmillan's senior specialist dietitian and she, her role, well, I'll let her explain it. I assess patients from their point of diagnosis throughout their treatment journey. So that could be a range of inoperable or operable patients. Um, the role is to try and get them fit enough for their surgery or fit enough for their chemotherapy. Um, so to ensure that I keep their weight stable or um, I stop any further unintentional weight loss. I also uh, look at their stool patterns to see whether they're suffering from malabsorption, in which case um, I will recommend the use of pancreatic enzyme replacement therapy. Um, and if a patient is failing to meet their nutritional needs through food alone, then I'll also recommend nutritional supplements um, or sometimes um, enteral feeding, which is feeding by a tube into the stomach or into the intestine. It's a really varied role and you're dealing with the whole picture really, aren't you? It's not just one aspect of, of, of diets and nutrition. No, a lot, a lot of it is, um, you know, dealing with the emotional aspect um, of eating because a lot of patients get really frustrated at the fact that they've lost their appetite. I often hear patients say that, um, you know, they feel full all the time or they can't face a full meal or, you know, they really, they really fancy something to eat and their, their spouse goes to make it and then when it's set down in front of them, they don't want it. And this can be incredibly frustrating for both the patient but also for the loved ones. So a lot of my job would be not only managing the dietary side of things but also um, the emotional side of eating as well um, and I guess telling a patient that it's okay to feel as they're feeling but we'll work together to try and get a plan that's right for them. And what are the implications of pancreatic cancer on the ability for people to eat, to digest and also get their nutrition from food? Yeah, so I guess, um, I suppose if we look at the, the role of the pancreas, so the pancreas is two important functions, um, one of which is controlling blood sugar levels, and the other function is to help you digest your food. Um, so pancreatic cancer patients, um, the tumour can reduce the number of enzymes that your pancreas makes, um, and that's because the tumour can, can block the enzymes from getting to the bowel where they're needed for digestion, um, and that's, for example, if the cancer blocks the pancreatic duct. So what we tend to find is that um, patients with pancreatic cancer at risk of malabsorption. Um, which basically means that they're not absorbing the nutrition from their food. So what patients tend to get would be um, a pale, greasy, oily, foul-smelling stool um, or bloating whenever they eat or, like we spoke about, the unintentional weight loss. Um, so it's very important that we do put these patients on pancreatic enzyme replacement therapy capsules, which takes the pressure off the pancreas um, and replaces the enzymes that the the pancreas would normally produce when people are diagnosed and then people who need to go for surgery and treatment what what mm -hmm. can you do to prepare people for for surgery and for treatment because they're big things to have to deal with even if you're healthy let alone if you're not absorbing your nutrients and not not mm -hmm. getting not getting the food that you need inside you yeah, so I'm I'm pretty fortunate um, where I work that I assess all pancreatic cancer patients before they do go for surgery. So we have a look at their symptom profile, what their boils are doing, what their weight is doing. Um, and if needs be, we'll, we often talk about this concept of food fortification, so enriching your food um, to get... Uh, 
extra energy and protein, vitamins and minerals um, to try and stop this weight loss. So we do all of that. Um, if a patient is failing to meet their nutritional needs, we'll start nutritional supplements to try and keep their weight stable or increase it before their surgery. Um, or we'll start, well, usually always we'll start pancreatic enzyme replacement therapy um, to try and help these patients to absorb um, the nutrition from the food they're eating. And how does that help? How does, for people that this is brand new information for, how do things like enzyme replacement and the role of enzymes, what kind of, why is that all so important? Because our food is our fuel, Charlotte. And if we cannot um, uh, take the energy from the food that we're eating, we're just, patients are going to get weaker and weaker and lose more weight. So it's absolutely imperative that to enable us to get the energy from the food that we eat and to get the goodness from the food that we eat, that we're able to digest and absorb it by the body and to make us stronger. And by making us stronger for pancreatic cancer patients is so important because they must be fit enough for their treatment, whether that be for surgery or whether it's for, for chemotherapy or radiotherapy in the future. A lot of people will understand the fact that, you know, getting people ready for surgery, getting rid of people for um, any kind of treatment that they need is, is obviously important for people nutrition a lot of people with pancreatic cancer it's a case of palliative care for for certain times as well what role do you play in making sure people get the best out of their palliative care in terms of palliative care, it's very important um, to ascertain um, how, how far the patient wants to drive the process and how aggressively the patients, um, I guess, want to be treated. Um, so again, it's it's similar sort of concepts. So when we say palliative, if they are going for chemotherapy, um, then again, same sort of principles. We'll adapt food fortification, enriching your food with extra energy and protein, extra snacks, etc. Um, we'll also try nutritional supplements um and i think what we have to remember here you know as i've said before we food is so much more than just our fuel it's a social aspect of eating um and the chance for all the family to get together and catch up about their day you know or celebrate a birthday or anniversary and it's very important to try and normalize the eating environment for these patients and to try and take the pressure off um not only the family but also the patient um so a lot of it um is trying to sort of manage the patient's expectations uh, and work with them with what's right for them and try and, I guess, manage their symptoms as well. Because sometimes a patient will call and tell me they're feeling sick or they're constipated um, or they've got indigestion. So it's very much liaising um, with the rest of the multidisciplinary team to make sure that we've got all of those symptoms under control so the patients can live um I guess, um, a pain-free or a a symptom-free life for as long as possible. You mentioned spouses preparing food for their other halves. If if you're preparing food, what is the best way for for people to do that? Um, Well, what I always say is to... um, make sure that you have the the fridge full of easy to pick up foods um so snacky type items um and try as i said about the food fortification so if we look at an example would be mashed potato so you can add extra cream and milk cheese butter which doesn't necessarily increase the portion size of the food but actually increases the the calories and protein of of what the patient is eating there um or something like i guess um beans on toast so add an extra cheese to the beans so again to try and get more protein or calories in there um also tell patients if they're overfaced 
buy um, large plates and to try having a tea-sized um, plate um, and maybe not having fluids whenever they're having their meals but to have it maybe half an hour an hour afterwards because fluids can fill us up um, and also making sure as we have talked about before having the pancreatic enzyme replacement therapy there to make sure that the food that you're putting in that you're able to digest it and absorb it. How does pancreatic cancer affect weight loss and muscle loss? Um, so I guess we talk about this concept of cachexia, um, which is essentially cancer-induced weight loss. Um, and generally, it is a complex issue, and it basically affects the way the body uses calories and protein. Um, scientists think that the cancer um, releases chemicals, which are known as cytokines, into the blood that contributes to the loss of fat and muscle. And what these chemicals do is they make your metabolism speed up so that your body is using calories faster. And because your body is using up the energy much faster than it's getting it in, patients tend to experience a severe weight loss or this cachexia. And we often see it in the later stages of the disease. We know that it's difficult to reverse with nutrition, but we can control it and we can slow it down um, if, a, if a patient has access to you know, appropriate nutrition counselling and intervention. What would you say is the best thing about your job and why do you enjoy it? It's a privilege. It's an absolute privilege and an honour to work with this patient group. Their stoicism, their their optimism, their zest for life amazes me every single day. And, you know, patients have come to me, you know, at their point of diagnosis and they're so lethargic and they're so weak and that you know they don't know where to turn and once they've received a bit of nutrition um you know and the appropriate advice you know they're able to you know take their dog for a walk or or push their grandchildren on the swing or even have had you know some patients all they've wanted to do is walk their daughter down the aisle and to me to know that I can make a difference to those patients lives and give them that wish it there's not any amount of money Charlotte that you know that that could make my job any better and it is those little things obviously walking your daughter down the aisle is not a little thing but walking your dog pushing your grandchildren on on a swing it's just to keep I hate saying the word normal because that's not no one's ever normal but it's just to keep the normality of life going for as long as possible isn't it absolutely and a lot of the job is managing expectations and you know and encouraging relatives and and spouses to to talk as well that actually it's not just the diagnosis that affects the patient it's a wider family as well uh, and making sure that they have a good support network around them because it it is like this diagnosis is life-changing absolutely life-changing so any normality you can bring to their life is worth the weight is worth its weight in gold are, are there any stories in particular that, that stick out in your mind of people that you've helped and the, just the way it's changed their lives a little bit? Um, well, there's one chap um, in particular. He, gosh, he, he lost about 20 kilos of weight before his diagnosis um, and uh, profoundly jaundiced and profoundly malabsorbing. Um, so the doctor sorted his jaundice out and I managed to sort his malabsorption out. Um, he said to me, he said, all I want to do is go on one last, last holiday with my wife. He said, that's all I want to do. Um, and he said, but I don't, I don't think I'm going to make it because I'm just, I'm not strong enough. 
so we worked really hard and we set a date as to when they would go on their either weekend away and um, we worked out what his requirements were we we got his enzymes right we got him on nutritional supplements and um, he progressively started gaining weight he began feeling stronger in himself and he and he got away he got away on that last holiday um and he rang me afterwards to thank me and he said it was possibly one of the most special and precious times that he had had um, and his wife valued that time as well because he wasn't sure if he was going to get another chance to do that. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer Podcast. More to come throughout November. Lots of interesting stories to hear and of course the best way to make sure you don't miss out is to make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. So go ahead and subscribe and while you're there you know what I'm going to say. Yes go and leave us a review as well please. In the meantime we'll catch up with you very soon. 